Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's look at, first, at uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, in verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. I want to preach to you today from a sermon titled, The Deity of Christ. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word, and I pray today that you would let it come forth with clarity. God, I pray that you would set me aside today. Hide me behind the cross, God, and speak plainly to us, your children, from your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. The deity of Christ. This is a phrase that if you stay in church long enough, you will hear this phrase. But what you won't do is hear people who can give an apt definition of it or talk about it at length. This is uh, a widely accepted truth inside Orthodox Christianity, so much so that it has become the linchpin of defining all cults. What do I mean by that? You can define a cult most easily by any group that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. So we got to know what the deity of Jesus Christ is to get to that point. So I put in the notes so we could read it together on the screen, a working definition. This isn't the only definition. This isn't the most expansive definition. This is a definition. Let's see that on the screen, guys. The New Testament asserts that Jesus Christ is equal to and identical with God, performing works that only God can do. As the Son, He is distinct from the Father. He is of identical being with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The deity of Christ simply means Jesus is God. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you today by sinking something in your spirit, by allowing you to make confession out of your own mouth if you choose to. Now, I know some of you wouldn't repeat after me if I put a gun to your face, but I want you to say this. We're going to say, Jesus is God. Let's say it. Jesus is God. Let's say that again. Jesus is God. I promise you, if you'll make this confession everywhere you go, in your own mouth, in your own house, not to other people, because Jesus is God, but he's not their God. But if he's your God, then you need to constantly be reminding yourself that your God, get this, is God. <laughs> That's better than y'all took it. But we're going we're gonna to dig into it a little bit. Jesus is God. This expanded definition, uh, minimal expansion, says that Jesus is equal to and identical with God. Now, let me tell you, when I teach the new members class, and we go through our statement of belief, talk about what we believe as a church. I preface that by telling everyone, only lost people care about your statement of belief. Only troublemakers care about your statement of belief. People who are saved and love Jesus, they, they don't need to hear what your doctrinal stand is on five different issues. They just want to come to church and love God. And, and be a part of a church to see a soul saved, people getting baptized, a community being transformed by the love of Jesus. This is what we're saying. But there are people that like to debate, and when you hear people say, well, if Jesus is, is the Father, then who was he praying to in the garden? Now, that might sound like a good question, but let me tell you what that is. That is a snare, a trap, a, a trick of the enemy to cause you to think in some kind of way that Jesus was ever less than God. 
Jesus was never not God when he was praying to the Father. He was never less than God when he was praying to the Father. He wasn't less than God when he said, why have you forsaken me? He was still God when he was hanging on the cross. There are liars that teach that Jesus set aside his deity on the cross when he took upon uh, himself the sin of all mankind. But I come to tell you that Jesus was God before there was an earth, all the way through there being an earth, after there's going to be an earth. There's only one God, and it's Jesus. He is equal to and identical with the Father. Let me read some of this stuff to you, and then we'll get into the teaching. And the teaching is not going to be preaching today. It's going to be more Wednesday night than Sunday morning. But I want you to dig in with me today. Here's some things I jotted down. The name to, that, that show how obvious it is that Jesus is God in the Bible. The names of God are often applied to Jesus. He's called the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and Emmanuel. He, he's called the Lord. He's called Jehovah. He's called God in many places in the Bible. This is the problem that the religious crowd had with Jesus when he was on the planet. If you don't know for sure why they wanted Jesus crucified, they hated him because he told them that he was God, and they weren't. And listen, I've always said this, and I know you don't get it, but I'm going to say it again. I feel bad for the religious leaders of 2,000 years ago. Because if someone came in here today, many of us have been studying the Bible for decades. Many of us have been in this thing, and it's our entire life for a long time. And if someone came in here today and said, oh, by the way, you guys have got Moses, you've got Jesus, but I'm the missing piece. I'm the piece that you didn't know about. I'm the unfolding of the mystery that I'm letting you know now. I am more God than Jesus. Well, we gotta, we, we got to call that out for heresy. We can't accept that. The, the founder of the Mooney Church came out and said that. He, he came out and said that he was equal to Jesus. And so every decent Christian on the planet decided, well, the Mooney Church is not a church at all. It's a cult. Because every, I told you, the, the linchpin of deciding what a cult is, it, it, by people who examine cults, first, first criteria, first filter, first metric they put it through. Do they recognize the deity of Christ? The Mormon church does not recognize the deity of Christ. They believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. This, this is not a slam on them. This is the truth of what they teach. There are many churches. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist church doesn't believe that Jesus is God. There are many of these churches groups out there that masquerade as Christians and here's what they want to tell you on their commercials and in their literature. We're really not that different than you are. And that's when you need to ask them, do you believe that Jesus is God? And when they, when they make any type of theological assertion, when they try to confound the issue and conflate the issue with multiple uh, scriptures, you just need to let them know. If Jesus is not your God, we're not the same religion. Because Jesus is the God of the Christian religion. There's only one God. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, I know Rick saw it. Um, what was the guy's name? He said, there's only one God. I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Uh, was that Captain America? Some, somebody said that in one of those Marvel movies. It, 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 was, it was Chris Evans. It was Captain America. But there, even the Avengers know there's only one God. And you need to know that there's only one God. Jesus was God in the flesh on this planet Jesus is God. He's going to be God. Do you realize this? The Bible says that the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. Do you know who will be judging us in eternity? Jesus. Do you know who will be judging unsaved people for eternity? Jesus. Jesus sits on the throne. In, in people's mind, they've got God sitting on the throne and Jesus at the right hand of God uh, because they, they, they've seen some uh, metaphorical language in the Bible that tries to give us an idea of how close and intertwined the Father and the Son are. But if you read the Scripture, you'll find out Jesus is the Creator. 
Jesus is the maintainer. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the jury. And Jesus is the executioner or the deliverer. It's all about Jesus. Everything in Christianity is all about Jesus. So much so that, that it could be said that the Father and the Son are equal to Jesus. You didn't get that. You won't see it written in wording like that, but it could be said that the Father and the Son are equal to the Holy Spirit. You can put the Holy Spirit in the first position. You can put Jesus in the first position. You can put God in the first position because this is the deity of Christ that we're talking about, and the Holy Spirit maintains that same level of oneness with God. The Bible ascribes characteristics of Godness to Jesus when it says that he's eternal, when it says that he's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and immutable. Uh, Jesus is worshipped as God in the Bible. He claimed to be equal with God. That's what really got the, the religious leaders fired up. And I'm just glad that I wasn't there. I'm glad I don't have to accept someone coming into the church today saying, y'all don't have the full revelation. Uh, y'all have only got the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I'm, I'm this guy now, and I'm changing everything you believe. Can you imagine that that rubbed them wrong? They were committed to what they were committed to. Thank God that we've got the full revelation right now and we're not going to have some guy come in and slide in on us in 2021 and tell us that. Uh, the, the Bible declares that Jesus is God all throughout it. He claimed Godhood for himself. He, he, he got himself in so much trouble with the religious leaders of the day by his I am statements. If you ever want to do a great Bible study, do a study every time Jesus said I am. That cut them like a knife because I am was the proper name for God, Jehovah. And when he said, I am the, the living word, it, it, it burned them. And when he said, I am the door, when he said, I am the way, it, all, all these things got under their skin because they, they, they it, and I get it. I get it. If someone stood up in this room right now and said, oh, by the way, I'm God too. No, we, we, we would have to cast you out. I remember one night we, we used to have, when I was uh, licensed to teach at the Westside Baptist Church uh, at 7775 Herlong Road, Dr. Harold Hudson uh, used to do something on Wednesday nights before Thanksgiving that we still do here as a church. We let people uh, tell what they're thankful for. But he used to let people, because of a big, huge building, and it needed amplification, a microphone. Uh, and he would let people come up and stand in line and get on the stage and, you know, say what they were thankful for. And this, uh, bad look for that, because sometimes you can't take the microphone away from people that don't want to give it back. And this lady didn't want to give the microphone back. And she came up and she told everybody, she said, I am just thankful that my pastor, Brother Harold, knows the truth. Everybody clapped. Everybody, everybody loved Brother Harold. And um, she said, he's been telling us for years that Jesus is coming back, and he has. And he's living at Lamplighter Trailer Park on Normandy Boulevard, and his name is Steve. <laughs> they tried to take the microphone from her, and she walked to the other side. She said, he's the maintenance man. He drives a red truck. And I'm thinking, somebody get the microphone from this woman. <laughs> now, could you imagine if some dude named Steve stood up and said that he was the living God? We would not accept that. This was difficult for the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that time. What am I saying? You ought to thank God that you were born into the century you were born into when we have a completed Bible and when we have all the mysteries unfolded to us. <laughs> Jesus taught his disciples to pray in his name. He claimed that he and the Father were one. He, he claimed that to know him was to know God, that to see him was to see God, to receive him was to receive God, to believe in him was to believe in God, to honor him was to honor God, and to hate him was to hate God. 
Oh, I hope you got a right alignment with Jesus today. I hope that you understand the deity of Christ. You might not be able to spell it because it's not I before E. You might not be able to define it uh, in expanded form, but you at least need to know that Christians all around the world from the very first century church have believed that Jesus is the physical, visible image of the invisible God because that's what the Bible tells us. The fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Him. We are complete in Him because He is God. He doesn't just bring us to the Father. He brings us to Himself. So let's get into this. I am going to do um, just a little bit of teaching. Uh, through some verses in chapter 1, like we were just talking on a Wednesday night. I'm not going to uh, break a sweat. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to wear my back out. But I'm going to let the Word speak. There was a day and time in Western civilized churches, in American churches, where pastors refused to move from behind the pulpit because they didn't want eyes following them. But that was a day when folk didn't sleep in church, Okay. So there, there's, there's a reason for that. There, there, was, a, there was a time uh, in uh, the Reformation and following the Reformation in the Puritan era where pastors would not speak with inflection because they didn't want the power of the sermon to be in the power of oratory ability, but they wanted it to be in the power of the Word. Now, in America especially, do you know that anybody in this room, anybody in this room could go to Africa and preach in stadiums of 50,000 to half a million people and be viewed as the greatest preacher and the one they've been looking for. They are desperate for American preachers to come over there because their, their theology is developing and is shallow. And they, I mean, I, I, I could be rich if I just wanted to go preach in Africa three months out of the year. I know pastors that are preaching in Africa that are making close to a million dollars a year just going over there a couple times a year preaching in Africa. We, there, there's enough people in this room that know more about God than most countries will ever hear about God, and you need to make sure that first and foremost, the thing that you know about God for sure is that Jesus is God. Amen. Know that. Rest in that. Be humble in that. Don't, 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 be, don't be proud in that. The only reason that you're not a Muslim, the only reason you're not lost, the only reason you're not following some false god is because God revealed himself to you. It wasn't anything that we did to earn salvation. God gave it to us, and we ought to be humbled by it and thankful by it. There's no reason, no need. It's improper to be upset with somebody because they have another religion. We, we need to be humble that God didn't let us get tricked into another religion. And we need to pray what the Bible says exactly, that the scales that are over their eyes will be taken down, the blinders will be taken away from them so that they could see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and repent and have true salvation. The only reason we have that at all is because Jesus is God and he came and revealed himself to us. Let's get into verse 1. I want you to follow along. We're going to be teaching and I'm going to need you to put your thinking hats on. In John 1, 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, the word already existed. There's a period there. We need to pause on the punctuation. You need to take the Bible in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it. Don't just fast read through Scripture. You're not going to get it down in your spirit. The right way is Scripture is to be meditated on. Scripture is to be chewed on. It's, it's to be digested properly. Pause on the punctuation. Pay attention to the punctuation. When there's a period, stop and think about what's being said. In the beginning, the Word already existed. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to fast forward real quick because I want you to understand, and most many, many people in the room already know, when this passage of scripture is talking about the word they're talking about one person in particular who owns the name the word and that's Jesus okay so in the beginning Jesus already existed 
This is great theology, man. If you were going to go to seminary and they were going to take you from the very beginning of basic Christian Bible knowledge, this is where they would start. And they would want you to know that in the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus didn't come to be in a, 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 a trough as a baby. Jesus is before Adam. Are you following me? Jesus is before the earth. Jesus is eternal. And I've told you many times, but you need to let your mind get this as best it can. We can't get all of it because our minds aren't big enough. But eternity, we often think of eternity as the future. But eternity is not just eternity future. Eternity is also eternity past. Jesus and God, listen, you could aptly say that Jesus and God were hanging out together for billions of years before there was an earth. But you wouldn't have even scratched how long they had been hanging out. Because they had been hanging out for eternity with no earth, with no Adam, with no Eve. In the beginning, which beginning? And this, this, this is the theological depth that I want you to get. Which beginning? Not God's beginning. Not, not, not Jesus' beginning. In the beginning of this planet that we know about. In this beginning, Jesus already existed. See, God didn't begin, God just didn't get created. God never came to be. He's always been. If you struggle to believe that, uh, I want to help you in two ways. Number one, get saved. That'll help a lot. The Bible says the natural person can't receive the things of the Spirit. They, 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 the, Bible, the Bible says the natural person can't receive the things of the Spirit, neither can they know them because they seem like foolishness to them because these things are spiritually discerned. When you get saved for real, you'll just accept some stuff. You won't question everything. Did Jesus walk on water? Of course he did. Now, we just take that on face value as Christians. But if you go and you get into seminary, over half the professors in seminary in America believe that Jesus didn't actually walk on deep water. He walked in the shallow water beside the bank. They should all be fired. And they should all have some, some, some third grader who saved lead them to Christ. If you get saved, you'll question less and you'll believe more. See, because the saved mind says, I don't have to understand it all to believe it because God's bigger than me. But this is an understandable thing when we say in the beginning. Well, how far back is the beginning? It's the beginning of this earth. Now, some of you are all into carbon dating, and some of you are all into, you know, the whole scientific theory that the earth is hundreds of millions of years old. Um, personally, my personal belief, call me ignorant if you want to, won't hurt my feelings. I believe the earth's about 7,000 years old. Well, what, what do you do with the carbon dating? They found a fossil of a dinosaur that they said was 40 million years old, proving that the Christian theory of a 7,000-year earth is not correct. Well, after closer examination, guess what they found out about that dinosaur fossil? It came off a piano that was made in France 100 years ago. Oops. They carbon dated it. They scientifically proved it was 40 million years. Well, Pastor, the scientists, you know, they have carbon dating. Yeah, they have carbon dating telling me that 100-year-old piano legs are dinosaur fossils from 40 million years ago. However long ago it's been, I don't know. Nobody knows. But here's what I do know. This earth had a beginning, but my God had no beginning because he's bigger than a beginning. But in the beginning of this world, this universe, this solar system, Jesus already existed. The Word, that's Jesus, was with God. And the Word, I don't know how people get around this, what does it say? Was God. And He never changes. And if He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if He was God then, guess what He still is now? He's God. Now, here's the thing. For, for safe folk, this ought to be like, Pastor, everybody knows this. This is, just not, this is just not that deep. But it is because 
Very few people, one, are truly born again. I agree with uh, Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, who taught that the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil, the, the, the word fell on four different types of soil, and only one of them produced fruit. And Jesus said that the, the seed that was sown is the word of God, and the soil that it fell on was the hearts of mankind. Well, there's only one place where seed is regularly being sown on the hearts of mankind, and that's on Sunday morning in church. And I believe what Billy Graham believed, that, th- that based on that one parable and many other proof texts, that three out of four people sitting in this room right now are going to die and go to hell forever. So look at the people next to you. Look at the people next to you. I, I wish you could get with some people who thought that they were saved, but found salvation for real after the fact. I was talking with Jake just the other day. And, I mean, the, the, my, my son has completely changed spiritually since he accepted Christ before he left to go into the Marine Corps. And now the Word makes sense to him. He loves worshiping God. He loves lifting. Things that he never enjoyed doing before, he's doing. Um, I know Bliss, her own family wants her to believe she always was, was a good Christian girl, right? And she's trying to tell him she got saved a year ago. And they're like, no, that, and here's the thing. People don't want to believe that somebody like that that was in church serving God could have been lost. Why don't they want to believe that? I'm going to tell you. Because that means maybe they could too. Man, I remember the biggest, the biggest move of God we ever saw, uh, and we ended up baptizing uh, 114 people at the Hillcrest Baptist Church on the corner of Plymouth and LaBelle. We ended up baptizing 114 people. I don't know if you remember uh, when Archie Jackson, you remember when Archie Jackson came down off singing? You were probably in that service. You were there before I was there. Con- Connie was there. Uh, she was a huge part of that growth of that church. And when Archie, one of the best singers you're ever going to find, he's the, he's the worship leader at Hibernia Baptist Church in Fleming Island. This guy's fantastic. He was touring all around the country with Jay, Jay Strack at the time. Um, world famous, had his own album out. Uh, been in church his whole life. We were paying him $35,000 a year. That was a lot of money back then. And he put the microphone down, and he came forward, and he started crying. And he started talking to the preacher. And we found out a minute later that Archie had been playing the church game. And he had been struggling with doubts his whole life about his salvation. But he just kept trying to tell himself that he was saved because everybody else kept telling him what they were telling Bliss. You're already saved. You're saved enough. They don't want you to get saved because then it might make them think, well, if Archie ain't saved or if Bliss ain't saved, maybe I ain't saved either. So then <laughs> the next person, it didn't stop there. Uh, this, uh, this invitation went on for an hour. And then, oh, uh, man, what, what, was, what was Brother Moore's daughter's name? No, not Brother Moore's daughter. Who was married to Terry? She came forward to get saved. The pastor's son's wife came forward to get saved because she realized, listen, if, if Archie's going to do it, and, and I've been struggling too, we just may as well. And deacons started to come forward to get saved, and people started coming down and get saved. Anyway, the next Sunday night, we baptized 114 people. I remember it because Bob Lynch drove it in my head because Brother Moore had to tap out halfway through it, and, and let somebody else baptize the second half. What, what am I telling you? There is a difference, and most church folk don't have it, between coming to church and being truly born again. You can pastor in the flesh. You can lead worship in the flesh. You can memorize scripture in the flesh. You can lead people to Christ in the flesh. You can live a good life. You can do all these things. You can love the Bible. You can love singing. You can turn over a new leaf. You can develop some new habits without real salvation. But if you ever truly get born again by the life-changing power of the Spirit of the living God, some things are just going to click in you, and you're not going to have these questions anymore. This bothers people, man. This, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of professors in Bible college that, that, that struggle with this whole thing. Uh, they, they talk about the pre-incarnate Christ. 
and they argue about how long Jesus was really alive. When did the Father bring the Son into existence? Never. Never. The Father didn't bring the Son into existence. The Son was always with the Father. Why? Because the Son was God. Let me keep moving. Verse number 2. He, talking about Jesus, existed in the beginning with God. Okay, now, this, this is different than the beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, in verse 1, is talking about this universe. In the beginning here is talking about way before this universe. Before everything, he existed in the beginning with God. Now, if God has no beginning, why would we see the word beginning in back-to-back sentences? I'm going to answer it for you so you don't even have to think about it. Because God's got to put the hay down where the goats can get it. If God explained to us in full God-style wording exactly how he had no beginning, we couldn't grasp it because we look for a beginning in everything. And the majority of the Bible is literal, but some of it is figurative. Some of it is metaphorical. Some of it is anthropomorphic. Some of it is in tropes and types and similes. Some of it is in mysteries, and some of it is past finding out. And this beginning, when did God begin, will drive you crazy if you think about it. But if you think about it and it burdens you, you probably uh, need real salvation. So let's just realize the Bible says that Jesus existed with God in the beginning. And safe folk are going to just believe by faith. And I told you, this heady people have problems advancing in the kingdom. Studious people, intellectual people, self-styled genius people have problems advancing in the kingdom because they want to be able to rationalize and figure everything out. They want to examine it and, call, and, and, and make sense out of it. And the Bible says some things are just past finding out, and that's why I'm always going to remind you when you can't figure it out, you got to do what? you got to faith it out. And we take these things by faith. Verse 3 says, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. I want to read to you what it says in the King James Version. It says in verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by Jesus. This is the truth of the Word of God. Now, if I was to ask you, who created the earth in six days? Nobody was going to say Jesus right out the gate. What are we going to say? We're going to say God created earth in six days. If I were to ask you, was that God the Father or God the Son, everybody would have said God the Father. But the reality is God created everything through Jesus. Jesus made everything that there is. The, the King James says without him was not anything made that was made. Who made the earth? Jesus. Who made the land? Jesus. Who, who divided the, the, the waters above from the waters beneath? Jesus. Who put animals on the earth? Jesus. We got to understand, Jesus is God in every facet. Verse 4 says, the Word, that's talking about Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The Word gave life to everything that was created. The Word, Jesus gave life to everything that was created. Adam and Eve were created, yes? Adam and Eve were created. Now, if I had to ask you before we started this teaching, who breathed life into Adam and caused him to be a living soul? You would have said a three-letter word, God. Well, now, on clear revelation, who gave life to Adam? Absolutely. And to everything, to every animal, to every organism, to everything that has life, that life was given by Jesus. Verse 5 says that light, it's talking about that light that Jesus brought, shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. They ought to take that message to Washington, D.C. They ought to take that message to every courthouse in America. You can take the Ten Commandments off the courthouse steps, but you ain't never going to be able to get Jesus uh, you, you're not going to be able to shut Jesus down on this earth. Why? Because it's his. 
people warring against Jesus, people don't want prayer in schools, people, listen, all these people that want to have a Christian preacher on the stage with a rabbi and an imam and, and a Unitarian and a lesbian and a homosexual and a free church and all these non-Jesus following churches, they are politically correct and theologically deficient. Anything that's not Jesus is a cult. Jesus said he's the only way to real salvation. He, he's the door, he said, where you could enter in to salvation. He even went on to say that if anyone tries to enter into a different way, he's a thief and a liar. Well, that just doesn't sound very kind and inclusive, Pastor Scott. I just believe Christianity is a tolerant religion and God is accepting. That's hogwash. God is not tolerant. God is not accepting. God is not uh, embracing everybody. He said many are called, but few are chosen. He said that the road to heaven is narrow and few there be that find it, but the road to hell is wide and many there be that go in thereat. He, he talks about this remnant, this small uh, called out group of believers. And we live in a world where we are drastically outnumbered, but the light of Jesus Christ shines in the darkness of this world. And I want you to know this. The darkness can never extinguish God. No matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they try to take God out of schools, no matter how hard they, they try to, to teach evolution, no matter how hard they try to push against Christian churches, they're never going to be able to overcome the light, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm going to just say it how I feel it. He's large and in charge. And I, I, just, I just believe what Reverend Ike said. I can't lose with what I use. And if you get on Jesus, you, you, you're going to be on God's side, and everything else is a lie. Verse 6 says, God sent a man, John the Baptist. So God sent this man, John the Baptist. Verse 7 says, why? To tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John had a mission. We've got a similar mission. We're supposed to go out and tell everybody about this light so that everyone can believe based on your testimony. That's why I tell people, you've got unsaved people in your house, don't Bible beat them. Don't, don't, don't scripture quote them. Don't Bible bash them. For God's sake, don't tell them to stop drinking and cussing and whoring and fornicating and watching porn. and all. Listen, uh, they should stop doing all those things, but that's not what they need. That's not going to get them saved. What, what they need is real salvation. You, you know, it's like putting a Band-Aid on, on cancer to, to tell somebody stop drinking if they're not really saved. They'll pick up something worse. The Bible says if, if you, if you uh, take a devil out of somebody, take a demon out of somebody, and you leave their heart empty, seven worse than the first will come in. So we, we spend too much time as, as American Christians battling against people's lifestyle when what we need to do, is, and this is what I tell every, every wife who has a husband that's unsaved, uh, every person who has a family member that's unsaved, stop nagging them to come to church with you. Stop Bible bashing them. Stop attacking their sin and fall in love with Jesus so much that they'll believe because of your testimony. John Wesley had, had one of the greatest concepts of real ministry. John Wesley greatly used, even though he swore he never wanted a, a, a group of followers named after him. Uh, the world named two different denominations after him. The Wesleyan Church and the Methodist Church both find as their founder a man who said, never name a, a denomination after me. But John Wesley had, had a great concept of how to bring people to Christ because everywhere he preached, people would get saved just by the droves. And one young preacher asked him one day, how do you do it, sir? How, 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 do, you, how do you have such power to your preaching and such response in your altar call? And he said, it, 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 he said it's all God, young man. He said, but what is it that you, what, what is the part that you play? And John Wesley thought for a minute. He said, I don't know. He said, every night I just go out there and I light myself on fire for Jesus and people come to watch me burn. And I'm going to tell you this. 
If you will light yourself on fire for Jesus, this world will watch you burn, and they will believe in God because of your testimony. This is what people need to see. They don't need to see church. It's okay. Bring lost people to church. It's okay. I hope God will save them. But what they need to see is your testimony. They need to see you fall in love with Jesus. They need to see a changed life in you. And that's going to cause them to understand that they need that same thing that you've got. In verse 8, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. They ought to post that on every church door in America. Because America has a problem. Well, it, it's, it's extremes. It really is. It's, it's two extremes. Uh, there, there's a lot of churches out there that don't care anything about their pastor. They just hire him and fire him. First time he does something they don't like, they'll just fire him and bring in a new guy. They have no honor. They, have, they don't even have single honor, much less the commanded double honor that the Scripture commands them to give. They talk down to their pastor, even though the Bible commands them not to rebuke an elder. They, they just gossip about him, even though the Bible tells them that love covers a multitude of sins and, and, and you ought to cover your leaders. Uh, they, they, they just no respect for their pastor at all. He's just a hired employee. Um, the Bible says the hireling cares not for the flock. That dude, and I know guys that are past, I know guys that are in between pastoring right now, and they've got resumes out, and they're answering, uh, they're online looking for a job, and I'm, I just don't think that's the way it works. But in a world where they don't respect the pastor, you got to get hired in and fired out, but then you got another whole group of people. They take it to an extreme. They, they put their pastor on a pedestal. I'm talking about, and some of y'all come from churches like that. And it's ridiculous, especially the smaller ones. You have like 25 people in the church, and the pastor has six security guards and three armor bearers. Am I right? Anybody ever seen that? Ain't that right? Be eight people. Eight people show up on Sunday morning. You got the pastor coming in, one dude carrying his Bible, another dude carrying his towel. He can't throw that towel over his shoulder. He preaches with it over his shoulder. Why can't he walk in with it over his shoulder? But they exalt the pastor so high that for those kind of churches, we, we need to put that on, on the front door. Uh, John is not the light. The pastor is not the light. Your favorite leader is not. John, nobody is the light. They're just all simply a witness to tell about the light. I want you to know today, you have a mission. And your mission is to tell people about the light of God, who is Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came into the very world, stay with verse 10. He came into the very world that he created. Who created this world? Jesus created this world. You know why it's important that we say Jesus? Because we need to get it in our minds fully fastened that Jesus and God are the same. That Jesus is God. Jesus created the world, but the world did not recognize him. What a kick in the head. How about that? Think, think about the pain that Jesus experienced, the pain of rejection. There are people in this room, some of y'all have been talked bad about, uh, and it hurts you. That people talk bad about you. Listen, you didn't create them. You're not God. They're not supposed to worship you anyway. So what if they don't like you? You, you can get glad in the same drawers you got mad in. But Jesus created everything. He created humans and they would not recognize him for who he was. Verse 11 says he came to his own people and even they rejected him. Now, here, here's, here's an own people thing. White folk, you don't get that. We just don't. White folk don't have people. I can tell you this. I pick on Connie some more. Connie does not walk into a, a grocery store and see a white person walking down the aisle and, and say, what's up? That's my people over there. Puerto Ricans do. Hispanics do. Some African Americans do. What's up, my brother? Is that really your brother? This is my people. Is that really your people? 
This, 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 this isn't something. I, I've told y'all many times. When, when I read a uh, drug dealer, 26-year-old drug dealer killed on the north side of Jacksonville, a drug deal gone bad, I don't call anybody. I don't call Elder Jimmy and say, oh, Lord, another one of us got killed in his prime. We're just dying out here. It's just it's a shame that the young man, uh, he was a 26-year-old drug dealer. He shouldn't have been dealing drugs. He ain't none of my people. He, he, this is a, when you're in a minority group, like when you're prior army and you're stuck in a Navy town and you see army folk, are y'all following me? See, that's how we are. I promise you this, abundant life has more army in it than any church this size in all of North Florida. Why, why we got all these army people? Because when they came in, they saw the preacher with the microphone was one of them. When you're a small group, a minority group, like the Jews, he came to the Jewish people, and even them, the people who had been waiting for him for centuries, they sang songs about his coming. They had been taught more than anybody that he was going to come, and they didn't even get it. Verse 12 says, here's the great news, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. This still works today. It worked back then when Jesus was on the planet 2,000 years ago, and it still works today. If you will believe him and accept him, not just believe that Jesus was a person. Everybody believes Jesus was a person. The most documented human being in the history of the world. More books written about him than any other person ever. Everybody knows Jesus was a person. It's 2021 based on the life of Jesus. They changed it now because uh, America hates God, and many, much of America hates God. Not all of it, thank God. But they changed B.C. Uh, do y'all know they're not teaching your kid B.C. anymore? They're teaching B.C.E. Y'all know what B.C.E. stands for? Before common area, era. Well, what, what distinguishes what was before the common era? The birth of Jesus Christ. It's still before Christ. They can twist it all they want to, but everybody believes in Jesus. Our whole calendar is set up on him. It's not about a head knowledge of believing him. Do you believe he is who he says he is? Do you believe that he's God wrapped up in human flesh? Do you believe that he died and was raised from the dead. If you do and you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, he's going to give you the right, the King James says, the power to become a child of God. And you need to understand that if you are a Christian, you had to become a Christian. If you talk, and I talk to people everywhere I go about their Christianity. I don't start with I'm a pastor. I most times don't even tell people I'm a pastor. Uh, I, I, but I ask them about their salvation. And people tell me, oh, oh, I'm a Christian. I, and I ask them, well, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've always been a Christian. I was raised in the church. That is proof positive they are unsaved. That nobody's always been a Christian except Jesus. You, there has to be this defining moment in your life where you believe him and accept him. The King James says where you receive him. There's this, I once was lost, but now I'm found. There once was I was in the dark, but now I'm in the light. And I'm telling you, many of you have not had that experience. You're still in the darkness. You're just trying to find your way to the light. Let me tell you, the only person that can live for Christ effectively is Christ. You got to get Jesus on the inside for this thing to become real to you. And if you would just believe everything that he says he is, then you can have everything he says you can have. Verse 13 says, they who, the ones who, he, who become children of God are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. I want you to think this morning in your own life, when did that happen to you? When were you reborn? We call that being born again. When did you have a, a birth that comes from God? When did you have a spiritual birth? My birth, my natural birth, August 6, 1963, is when I was born uh, from human passion. I don't know if there was a plan, but there was some passion, I hope. 
Uh, that's funny. But <laughs> July 15, 1981 is when I was born again, a birth that comes from God. Have you had a birth that came from God? Have you had a spiritual birth? Have you had a born-again experience? Have you changed from the inside out? Because many of you, here's, here's, here's the, the, the problem, and, and Rick and I have talked about this uh, Rick is the son of a pastor. I know Judy has had to deal with this, raising kids in the church. Uh, when people, and some of you had raised your kids in the church, you raised your kids in the church. People, when your kids have been in church forever, they know the right answers to say. And they just assume that they're Christians because, you know, mom and dad are Christians, and I've been in church my whole life. Of course, I must have got it somehow. That's not how Christianity works. It's not by osmosis. You just don't bump into uh, being a Christian. You just don't, you know, gradually morph into being a Christian. It is something that happens just, the Bible says, just as the child comes forth in a rush of water physically. That the born-again experience comes forth in a rush of water spiritually. There's a time and a moment where you got to have this spiritual birth. And I'm burdened because I know so many people sit in church week in and week out. And they try to read their Bible, but it just doesn't click with them. They try to be worshipers, but eh, it's just a little stiff for them. They, they try to be good people, but they keep falling backwards. Let me tell you what. It gets better if you get saved. If you get saved, you can plug in to, to the source that can make all these things truly happen for you. I can tell you this from personal experience in my own house. I told y'all, Jake been baptized a bunch of times, walked an aisle a bunch of times, never worked for him. Uh, this last time he, he walked an aisle, uh, stood up to receive Christ, it changed him. He knew all the right answers. He knew what to say. If somebody asked him, was he saved, he could, he could tell them, yeah, I, I, I got to say, he had dates written down. He had baptismal certificates with dates on them. We need to get certificates out for these people that got baptized this week. Um, but he's seeing now the difference that I saw on July 15, 1981, that Dina saw uh, just a short time after that, that many of you have seen when you stopped just going to church and got real salvation, everything opened up and it all became brand new for you. And this is what needs to happen. Verse 14 says, so the word became human. Now, here's, here's where you get the definition. I told you to accept that the word meant Jesus. Verse 14 spells it out real clear. Wake back up and pay attention. I'm almost done. I got four more verses. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist and you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to piece this together. Verse 14 is talking about somebody who's the Father's one and only Son. The Word is the Father's one and only Son. The, the Word it became a human being and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and He, was, he had glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Do you understand that this is talking about Jesus? So the Word, this is, this is where we started in verse 1. I told you the Word is talking about Jesus. This verse 14 uh, illuminates that for us, defines that for us. Verse 15 said, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds. Listen to John. <laughs> this is awesome. This, is, this, this John is, is on point with this theology right here. He says, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Now, everybody doesn't know the story about Jesus and John. Jesus and John are cousins. Mary, Jesus' mother, and Elizabeth, John's mother, are cousins. Okay? And when Mary found out she was pregnant with Jesus, who'd she go see? Elizabeth. Guess who was already six months pregnant? Elizabeth. Guess who's six months older than Jesus? John. How does John say Jesus existed long before me? Because John knew Jesus was God. 
John knew Jesus didn't start 30 years ago. They were both in the, at, right there at the Jordan River where John was baptizing. John, John knew that he was older than Jesus, but he said, he's greater than me. Now, we don't get that in Western mindset because we don't base everything here on age. We should be more respectful of people older than us. If your mom and daddy didn't teach you that, people that are older than you deserve respect whether you know them or not. They've been alive longer than you. Well, they got to earn my respect. You're not that special. All these participation trophies warped your mind. But in this day and age, if somebody was one second older than you, they were older, they were in charge, they were the boss, they were greater than you. They had more more pull than you. John goes totally against cultural norms. And I'm telling you, if Christians don't start standing up and going against cultural norms, if you just accept your cultural norm, all the white people are just going to stay racist and all the black people are just going to get more militant. Because white people are getting more racist and black people are getting more militant, and if you don't believe me, turn the news on. It's worse now than it has been in my lifetime. And people are running to their corner and their corner. We've got to battle against cultural norms, and we've got to do as John did. He battled against the cultural norm. He's, he's, he knows he's older than Jesus, but he says he's the greater, I'm the lesser. That wasn't even acceptable in that culture at that point. No, John, you're older. You've been alive longer. In the family hierarchy, you're, 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 you're a peg up. Well, he said that's not how this works. Because he wasn't looking just at Jesus' earthly birth. He was looking at the fact that Jesus existed long before him. I'm trying to get you to understand that Jesus has been around since before this earth. Jesus is God, and he existed way before John. Jesus went on and told people, before Moses was, I am. Jesus has been around not just longer than John. He's been around longer than Moses. So when these people try to say, and we talked about, I think it was uh, in Wednesday night, uh, we were looking at uh, the golden rule, and we looked at all these different religions that predate Christianity, um, first century Christianity, and that all had their own version of the golden rule. There are religions that are, are hundreds and even a thousand years before Jesus that people are still practicing today that were teaching do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And a lot of people say that Jesus came along and he stole that uh, from, from uh, Confucius. Or not Confucius, but uh, Islam. And other religions that predate Christianity. But what we found out is Moses taught that before all of them. Their religions, because none of those religions are older than Moses. But Jesus, and so a lot of these people say, well, Christianity is a new religion, and, you know, Jesus has only been around for a short period of time compared to our religions. No religion is older than Christianity because before this earth was, Jesus was. Jesus has been God before there was any kind of religion, any kind of people. He existed long before all this. Verse 16 says, from his abundance, we all have received one gracious blessing after another. Man, if you don't get anything, get this, because I'm wrapping this up. If you don't really believe that you receive one gracious blessing after another because of how great Jesus is, then you don't know him. You don't know him. If I passed the microphone around and I just said, tell me one good thing Jesus has done for you, we'd get some wordy answers by some people who've been in church for a long time. But then we'd get to the person who was a little shy and a little humble and a little, a little socially awkward, and they wouldn't, they, they, they would feel like, well, I don't have a great testimony like the other people, but I know he saved me. <laughs> and that's the whole bit right there. That's the good good right there. That, 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 that's, that's the abundant, that's the, the huge blessing. Everything else you get is just a cherry on top. Jesus brought salvation. Verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Last verse is this one. No one has ever seen God, 
but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. I want you, in closing, to figure out, has God truly been revealed to you? Do you know that you know that you know that this Jesus that I'm talking about lives inside you? Are you sure that you have been born again? Not in church, but deep on the inside by the power of God's Spirit. Has Jesus revealed God to you? Oh, man, I promise you, if you ever get saved, you'll be glad you did. It just changes everything. You you won't try to get through your one chapter a day in the Bible. You'll find yourself wanting to read more and more and more. You you won't try to sing to God in, in church because people are watching. You'll just love to open up your mouth and tell Him how much you love Him. You won't need a calculator to figure out what 10% is of your check. Because you're going to want to give as much as you can give. And I have people in the room like, "Mm, I don't want that kind of religion. Somebody's got to go to hell. You can do that. If you want to be that person, you can be that person. But why would you want to be the one to go to hell? Bible says hell is enlarging itself every day. The reason why hell is enlarging itself every day, because people are going there every day. Why would you want to be the one to go there? When Jesus said, if you just call on his name, he'll save you. If you just believe that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, not just Jesus, but the Lord Jesus. If you will line yourself up under his leadership and say, he's the boss, he's the master, I give him control of my life, I willingly do what he says me, tells me to do. The Bible says for God's children, keeping his commandments are not grievous to them. You get real saved, you'll want to do the things that you've been trying to do. Trying to be a good person, trying to pay tithe, trying to give a little offering every now and then, trying to do all these things. If you get real salvation, Man, he's going to reveal God to you. And the Bible says this, and I'm done. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. If you're serving God for any other reason than that you're overwhelmed by how good he's been to you, your servitude is going to be weak. and Your fellowship is going, to, is, is going to be failing. But if you realize how good he's been to you, if you ever get to real real realization that he saved you when he didn't have to he keeps you when 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 nobody else would he loves you in spite of you if you ever get the real revelation of how good God is you'll start wanting to do more than what you right now are struggling to believe well I guess I got to go to church because it's Sunday we get to go to church on Sunday We get to come back tonight and pray. We're going to have air conditioning running. We're going to have the lights on. The building's going to be open. You get to come. People sitting there thinking, well, I guess I ought to try to read my Bible. We can't going good. These are evidences of something's wrong in here. Too many people have tried to make changes on the outside, hoping to become a new person on the inside. That's not Christianity. That's religion. Religion is man trying to reach up and grab hold of God. Christianity is God reaching down and grabbing hold of men and women and boys and girls and bringing them to himself. I hope that you know for sure that Jesus is God and that Jesus is your God. Last question I'm going to ask. Thought about it when I, when I saw Stacy back there. Bailiff in the courthouse. Rough handling people. Hopefully soft handling some folk too. No, rough handling them. Rough. Thought about this and I'm, I'm going to ask you this and go. 
I heard it said a long time ago like this. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to get a conviction? I have gone into people's schools. I've gone into people's workplace and asked for so-and-so, and they're like, well, who, who can I say is asking? I'm Pastor Scott. Uh, pastor, yep. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm their pastor. Uh, we go to church together. They go to church? Do you get that? That's no evidence. Faith has evidence. Faith has evidence. Real Christianity is defined. The Bible says that if you're really in Christ, you become a new creature, and old things pass away, and all things become new. You become a new person. When did that happen to you? When did, when did you come to this realization of new life in Christ? For me, it was July 15, 1981. There's no doubt in my mind about it. God changed me, and I've failed so many times since then. But he's never let go of me. And I offer you this hope. You can stop trying so hard to be a good person. You can stop trying so hard to be a Christian. You can stop trying so hard to do the right thing. And you could just give up and fall on the mercy of the court and ask God to save you even though you know you don't deserve it. And when you do that, change is going to happen. And he's going to give you the power to be a child of God. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son. God, I pray for every unsaved person in this room today that you would right now give them a divine awareness that they need real salvation, that what they have is not enough, that what they have is not true, biblical, Holy Ghost, born again, salvation. God, you said that no one can come to you unless you draw them by your spirit. I pray now that you would move on the hearts of unsaved people in this room to become truly saved. Reveal to them their need, God, and pour your love out on them. God, for those of us who are saved, Lord, we recognize and we confess that we do not deserve your love and that you've been better to us than we've been to you. We recognize and we confess that you are great and we are not. We love you, God. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for hope. Thank you for your spirit that lives inside us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill every Christian in this room with fresh anointing, fresh fire, fresh oil. God, overflow us with your spirit that we would be able to go out even as the man that you sent named John to testify so that others would believe. Let us go testify, God, through the way we live and the words we say and the actions we do that you are alive and that you are the living God. Thank you for revealing yourself to those you've revealed yourself to. And I ask you to reveal yourself to those who still need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.